the gamut ranges wide, complete incompetence all the way to like, how can I develop a personal relationship with this person because they were so special. That's where you shine and you stand out is when you have that higher level of communication, the ability to say, I don't know everything, but I will find out everything I need to know to properly guide you. Gosh, what great advice. Yes. Welcome to the Urban Connect podcast. I'm Jennifer Oshambo, the broker owner of Urban Provision Realtors, and I'm thrilled that you're turning in today. If you're here, chances are you're a prospective buyer, seller, or homeowner searching for clarity in the ever-evolving real estate landscape here in Texas, and you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll delve into a myriad of topics, equipping you with the knowledge and tools to navigate the intricate realm of real estate. From insider tips on how to prepare your home for a successful sale to insights on the latest marketing trends and everything in between, we've got you covered. Sit back and relax and get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level with the Urban Connect podcast. Welcome to the final episode of What Makes a Good Realtor, a four-part series that explores the real-life experiences of buyers, sellers, and industry partners to uncover the qualities that define an exceptional real estate professional's. In today's episode, I'm thrilled to welcome a fellow real estate colleague and broker associate, Karen Thomas, who will join me to wrap up our informative conversation of what makes a good realtor. Get ready to gain valuable insights, learn from expert perspective, and discover the qualities that make a realtor truly exceptional. Brace yourself for an eye-opening conversation that will change your mind about what it means to work with a top-performing realtor. Let's get started. Karen, it's my pleasure to have you as a guest on Urban Connect today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Honored, honestly. I'm really excited to have you. And, you know, what the listeners are going to learn really soon is the reason why I asked you to, to be my guest in this conversation. So I think the best way to sum up the reason why I asked Karen to be my guest is reading part of her bio. So... Whether first-time buyers or seasoned sellers, Karen guides her clients through every step of the process with her trademark humor, warmth, and extensive, some might say freakish, knowledge. (laughs) She, She knows that buying or selling a home can be stressful and is armed with know-how and relationships needed to help her clients succeed in this wild and wooly housing market. So... This kind of goes into what we're talking about today is exceptional versus mediocre Mm -hmm. from terrible. I mean, you you and I both know that all of those characteristics or descriptive words that I just said evolve and, and live in our industry. Yeah, yeah. They definitely do. And I feel like, you know, you'll kick this off the way that you know best, but um, I feel like you can kind of see things pretty early on to let you know who you're dealing with on the other side. And and the gamut ranges wide, you know, from complete incompetence all the way to like, how can I develop a personal relationship with this person because they were so special? You know, I would say most people kind of fall in the middle. But you can kind of see those signs pretty early on, I think, don't you? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, you know who's going to go go above and beyond, not just in the the very first part, but through the duration of the contract versus who's 
trying to shine to get that offer accepted or oh yes yeah yeah right right so it's like a gut reaction or gut feeling when you know you know Mm -hmm. right yeah it's not like one strike you're out you know because you never know what kind of a day someone's having or like you know i would say the first way i judge people honestly is how a text comes in because if they don't introduce themselves right they're trying to set up a showing or something and they don't say who they are. They just say, can I show your house at this time? And you're like, hi, may I ask who this is? You know, <laughs> but I've worked with really good agents who actually didn't introduce themselves. And then they were just like so embarrassed. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. My name is XYZ. But the response to it, you can kind of tell, you know. So even in those early moments, building rapport is really important. So I know that from my perspective on the other side. So I always try to give that. And, you know, you're constantly being judged in these situations. And by that, I mean, your client is being judged. So you're representing that client. You're, You're putting on that image right from the moment you reach out, you know, and it makes a big difference. Like we both know they are the literal agent of the client. So, you know, you have to take what they're saying as their fair, fair representation of their client. But as you also know, you're trying to navigate your buyer or seller through that transaction with them. And sometimes the agent's doing such a bad job and they're, and you know, so you're trying to kind of guard your client from their assumptions based on that too, right? Like maybe, you know, so you're just saying they might, because that hostility can come through like, oh, they're, you know, everybody thinks they're out to get somebody else, you know, and you're like, no, 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 let's just look at the facts just because an agent is maybe not behaving correctly doesn't mean their client, but it makes it much more challenging to navigate that way. It does. It does. And I feel like it, it leads us into the education, just like kind of on a high level. So exactly. like, let's, so I feel like there's there's different segments of we, you and I, when we're looking at an agent, whether they be a broker or an agent, and for our listeners, there's different, there's an there's a real estate agent mm-hmm. and there's a realtor, right? A realtor is a member of NAR. Yep. Most of our member MLSs are, are members of NAR. I don't think any in Texas are non-members, so... Most of your agents are going to be realtors. They're they're bound to a code of ethics. They have to be, right? Because right. they're a member of NAR. Then you have brokers who own a brokerage. And then you have broker associates who, who like yourself, who you have a broker's license, but then you don't have your own brokerage. You work within a, you know, you're sponsored still by a broker. Yeah. Essentially, right? Yeah. Because you work for a firm, but um, you're still a broker and you still have to be acknowledged. There's different layers of education, but I feel like the importance of ongoing education kind of tells me who I'm dealing with. Definitely. There are a million ways to get education. And I think you kind of have to dip your toe in all of them. Um, You know, there's the free classes that, you know, title companies or other reps will offer to agents. There's just what you can see on Trek. So the education that was reported into them. And I check, don't you? I mean, I check, you know, because you kind of want to know who you're dealing with on the other side um, or you should want to, you know. And if you have an agent where you can see all they've done is the bare minimum to keep their license going, that can be a red flag, you know. And, you know, like I said, like, you know, you know, people can surprise you and real world experience in real estate is certainly worth its weight in gold. 
So you can't get out of the classroom what you need to successfully navigate a transaction, but you need both. And you need that tenacity to show through all the ways that they're doing that. So traditional or other ways to get education. That's true. And for our listeners, like she just said, track. So Texas Real Estate Commission. Oh, yeah. Right? Thank you. <laughs> I'm already okay. missing it because I'm not, you know, I'm doing realtor speak rather than. <laughs> yeah, we use a lot of acronyms in our industry, but. Thank you for calling me out because. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, I do the same thing all the time. Um, I've just learned when I'm talking to a consumer and you have mm-hmm. to, I'm sure that you, when you're in your, your mode of talking to your client, I call it dumbing down or kindergarten yeah. down. You're trying to elaborate a little too much and you do the same thing. Sure. I've seen you in business do, do your job, right? So, but the consumer, buyer, seller, investor, doesn't matter, can go renter, can go to Texas Real Estate Commission. This is a really good point. Yes. And search the name. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have their license number. I mean, if they have their license number handy on their email address or whatever, you, you can find them. But search their name. Figure out, like you, yeah. Karen said, how often, I mean, every two years, a sales professional, whether broker or or agent still has to take education yeah. every two years and it's only 18 hours. Yeah, right. Yep. So who's taking more? Like you were trying mm-hmm. to scout out two different agents. Who's going above and beyond? Yeah, yeah. And what classes are they taking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can kind of see their focus a lot of times and, and, you know, but also to say there's a lot of education outside of, you know, the track classes. Sometimes those are, you know, those are sort of the bare minimum, but you know, where are they getting their information from? You should be able to, you know, maybe leading into your next idea is like, how can you know um, about your neighborhoods? How can you know about your schools? You should be able to ask an agent about the specific market and they should be able to be an expert in that area, you know? Yeah, they should. And I feel like if they don't know, maybe that's not your agent. Yeah. You know, this is hard for me to say because, you know, Austin, just as for example, has gotten so huge, so, so big, yeah. right? If you rewind five years ago, 10 years ago, it was a smaller segment. We've Definitely. morphed into this metroplex, even though we're not considered a metroplex yeah. yet, right? We're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. But today, I probably wouldn't go to Leander and call myself an expert if I'm Selling in Southwest Austin on a regular basis. Sure. I guess defining what is an expert, because I think in real estate, an expert is someone who knows where to find the answers. It doesn't mean that your agent knows everything, but when you get an answer from them, you can tell they're not making it up or they're going to go find out for you. They'll be like, you know, if you regularly get from your agent, huh, I, I, I don't know. Let me find out. Let me, let me call somebody and find out. That's a great sign that they're listening, that they understood, that they maybe need to dig a little deeper in that area because you and I also both know every transaction you learn something new never stops. Every single transaction, it never stops. You will learn something you didn't know before. And just uh, don't assume that the broker knows everything because I and you as a broker still pick up the phone. We still call each other. We still call other people and ask questions, right? We don't know everything. Right. We don't know every market area, right? Mm -hmm. So like you said, it's okay to ask those questions and okay for someone to say, I don't know. Let me figure it out. 
It kind of goes back to that tenacious kind of attitude. So are they tenaciously pursuing education? Are they tenaciously pursuing the house? You know, if there's multiple offers, are you hearing from them in multiple ways? They texted you, they emailed you, they left you a phone message, you know, that tenacity comes through in a lot of ways and getting, you know, your questions answered. It should reflect that as well. You know, that's where you shine and you stand out Mm -hmm. is when you have that higher level of communication or that higher level of, of knowledge base or mm-hmm. the ability to say, I don't know everything, but I yeah. will find out everything I need to know to properly guide you. You know, that kind of takes me back to like, we all started out with nothing, no transactions, and hopefully you surrounded yourself with the right people to navigate those successfully. But I, I never judge someone based on if they're a new agent because Certainly, you might know more than them. I'm using finger quotes you can't see just because maybe you've had more experience. But if they've got the framework of that kind of tenacity and humility to, you know, say, hey, I haven't done this before, you know, this particular thing, how would you navigate that? You know, because we are working in collaboration with somebody else. And I think we lose sight of that a lot of times as agents. You are correct because. I remember back when I first started real estate, you know, when you first get your feet wet and it's scary, (laughs) you're going out and you're trying to get a listing, you're trying to get a buyer, you don't know what to say, you're deer in headlights look, you know, you're, you're panicking, you're sweating, you need some more deodorant, right? But someone described to me and it was my very first broker and she told me to tell a client this when I was brand spanking new and she says, well, would you rather have someone that's green and growing or someone who's old and moldy? <laughs> you know, because you, like you said, just because you have experience doesn't mean you're going the extra mile. Yeah. That new person or newer, yeah. fresher mind is going the extra mile because you're so new to that industry and to that experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, that kind of calls for me to mind just like, You know, and I'm not talking about anyone specific, I will say that, but sometimes you get these massive producers, you know, and where they're just doing so much business and you can see that they are, that's a real thing. And so you might think, oh, that's going to be my best experience because they're doing so much business. There's a big difference between being a great agent and production, in my opinion. A good agent knows when to punt or pass business. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there was an agent in San Antonio that I worked with on the committee at the state level years ago. Mm-hmm. And her theory was, I'm only as good as five transactions. Mm-hmm. I cannot take on more than five transactions and do my clients a service. Yeah. If I, I do a disservice to my clients when I take on more. Yeah. So she would tell her clients, look, I have five clients. When one frees up, I'm happy to take you on. But mm-hmm. if you want to work with me, you have to wait because I'm doing you a disservice if I take you on yeah. now. I really appreciate that. And I think it doesn't, again, just because you're a big, you know, a big producer doesn't mean you neglect your clients, but it also isn't proof. I think those are actually two separate skill sets, actually, being a great agent in a transaction and the ability to attract business 
is actually kind of two separate skill sets, you know, um, because maybe you've just hired, you know, all of these people and, you know, to get all these leads and you have them work them and then they bring you the clients that then you work with. Well, that doesn't say anything about how you're actually going to be in a transaction it actually has nothing to do with it. And I know people who are really good at both, you know, um, but I think they're different skills. And, and, you know, to go back and like gas them up a little bit, I've also worked with really high level producers who are spectacular great. and actually really personable. And I'm kind of like, I don't know, you know, you must never sleep because they are so on top of it, you That's know, true. and so interpersonal that like they really save their admin for the admin and they are the face of their transaction rather than passing the buck. That's really impressive. And I, Certainly, I've worked with agents like that as or well. Or they pass a buck and their their team is a well-oiled machine because yeah. they've trained them from, it's sure. they know what they're doing. They know what they're good at, what they're not good at, yeah. who, what their role is in the transaction. Because I think that's the beauty of a team that mm -hmm. when you get someone is knowing where you shine, where you don't, yeah. where, you're, where you're fit, right? And this permeates all of our industry. Like, same thing with title. Like, in fact, that kind of... Uh, the way that, that people work with people at that level permeates our industry, that when they're good at it, it doesn't matter if they're a title rep with a team or an individual. It doesn't matter if they're a lender with a team or an individual. If they manage it in that high level way, you're going to be happy with them, you know? So, but it, the interesting thing to me is production doesn't really, isn't a manifesting like proof of, you know, that they're going to be great. Well, I have always said production doesn't really mean anything to the consumer level. Yeah. It's how you're going to get treated and taken care of because as a consumer and as a buyer or seller, you don't know what that person's financial picture is. Yeah, yeah. Or need is maybe have young kids or maybe they're, they only need a part-time income or, mm. you know, maybe they do it because they love it. They yeah. just don't want to do a lot of it. So there's a lot of reasons why someone only so produces. True. Another thing that I think you would really agree with, and this is true, again, permeating our industry when it comes to lenders or title reps or whatever, you really see people shine when something goes wrong. You know, that's when you really see how good people are at their jobs when you've got an issue, you know, because I've definitely worked with agents where I thought, oh, that, you know, they seem really great. And then something in the transaction goes wrong to no one's fault. It's like no one was negligent or something. They're Things just happen. like a type burst, you know, how those agents jump into action when there's an issue to be resolved really sets that high level agent apart from everybody else. Um, is how they solve a problem. And I think that's true with title and lenders too. Like um, you get to really see how people work in those situations. So I, what I think is how someone sets themselves apart is, you know, our, our I call our, our, our industry a roller coaster, right? Mm -hmm. So in the last, what, three, four years, we've had a constant roller coaster. Yeah. We have been, we've had a hill, we've had a valley. We've had a hill, mm -hmm. we've had a valley. And the agent who sets themselves apart goes above and beyond in their delivery of their marketing of their professional photography their uh, their storytelling their innovative yeah. they're doing something different all the time because it's a representation of them mm. at the end of the day it's mm -hmm. not to sell that i mean yes it's to sell the house right but it's not oh well the market you know we're getting 50 offers i don't have to do this i can just put a sign lockbox on the door yeah but at the end of the day the, all the consumer sees is 
what the person did to do the work. It's always a job interview. Yeah, totally. I I completely agree with that. And I think also I love to network and, you know, have in my sphere other agents who think differently than me because we all come with different strengths and talents, you know? So being able to reach out and be like, hey, this is what's going on. How would you handle that? And, you know, of a, two great agents will have different approaches. And so it's really necessary to kind of have that network of, you know, relationships where you can be like, hey, this is what I think I would do. What do you think about that? You know, so that you're really vetting, you know, your even your own ideas, not thinking, I just know how to do this and I'm going to do it on my own, you know? But I think there's relationships go a little bit further and deeper because there's not a one size fits all. Not every client's like intended to work with you or intended to work with me. And a really good agent knows from out of the gate, this is not going to be a good fit. We're going to butt heads or it's going to be a challenge, but you know, they're better suited for someone else. And like I said earlier, went to Pinter Pass. It's better to say, this client's a better client to pass on to someone else they're better mm-hmm. suited for. Mm-hmm. And you have to build those relationships to know who those people are. I completely agree with that. So what I want to hear from you as an expert is how you deal with being in a transaction with a really challenging agent. Because we don't get to choose who's on the other side. Our clients choose, right? So someone brings us an offer or many offers and we present them and we give the pros and cons and we tell them how an agent's been communicating, et cetera, et cetera. If we tell them the red flags we see, we try to, you know, analyze it from a pitfall perspective. And then you give that to your client and ultimately they're still going to choose. You know, you're not going to say, oh, pass on that one. You're just going to say, here are the pros and cons that I see with this offer. And you let them decide. So then you maybe will get yourself into a transaction or your client gets you into a transaction with someone you know is probably going to be a challenge. Like, how do you deal with that from the get? The first part is to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Drink a lot of water, hydrate, get a good night's sleep. (laughs) Yes, you have to. I mean, I feel like you have to... with that scenario, you have to dot your, dot your eyes and cross out your T's. You have to... Gosh, what great advice. Yes. I mean, you have to sometimes do their job and your job to mm-hmm. make the transaction move forward. Um, you have to not take offense to that agent and how they do business. Mm-hmm. It's not directed at you. It's who they are most of the times. Yeah. You have to set that part aside and think, what, what is the end goal? The end goal is to get my client either bought or sold. Like, right. You, it's almost like you have to, like you said, breathe and swallow and take a deep breath and maybe go do a yoga session, right? You have to just pivot sometimes. And I'm not going to say roll over and do what this other person. I know wants. what you're saying though, because you really have to take your ego out of it. You do. You do. Yeah. You have to take the ego out of it because I think that in relationships of what we've learned with Mm -hmm. relationships as being in real estate is if I'm acting one way and another person is acting, let's say in a different manner, let's say they're upset or irate or they're ego stricken, right? If I come at that person with a different approach and I'm calm and cool and collect, 
let them have their ego. Let them stroke their ego. It's okay. (laughs) Then maybe the next time I interact with that person, it's going to be a different situation because I'm, I'm approaching it and I'm I'm not allowing them to take it under my skin. You know, I also think, of course, above all, you're serving your own client above all other duties, including to yourself, right? I mean, that's fiduciary is that they're putting you in a position of trust and you're going to put their needs again, you know, above your own, but you are also serving the transaction as a whole. And I think that's exactly what you were just saying, including that client on the other side, you are often best served keeping that relationship really happy. You know, I think a lot of, well, there's a certain type of agent who's just adversarial from the get, you know, I find that like my clients are less willing to meet them in the middle when they're feeling that aggression. Then they feel like they have to dig in their heels and really push back. They translate that to the client, right? Immediately. So the moment that happens, they think the client's that way. They don't think the realtor is the other way. That's right. Yeah. Then they're like, nope, we're not going to do it. The client is bad. Well, just because the agent is acting this way doesn't mean their client is. Exactly. And that just agent hasn't learned yeah. a different way of, of handling a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes back to, you know, what you're saying about, you know, just like staying cool, calm and collected. And we know that, you know, we're all humans. So it's sort of like take a breath, draft an email, don't send it and then come back to it, you know, because we are emotional beings. We're going to have to give ourselves a pass sometimes, you know. Well, and, and like you just said, draft an email, don't send it. But sometimes letting some time pass, you type a new email. Exactly. You yeah. say things differently when you think about exactly. it for time. You let this other per- person, you know, call their jets, as mm-hmm. well, I like to say, and then, then, and then let them uh, stew a little bit. It's fine. But our real... So, let me just think about this for a second. In Houston, I think they're close to 40,000 agents. They're mm-hmm. over 40,000 in Dallas. And I'm just hitting the, the major metros. In Austin, we're over 15. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot of agents out there, but I'm going to say not all those agents actually produce a business. True. Right? I, so I read something that it was only, what? 10 or 20%. Yeah. Like, right? I heard 20%. I've never vetted that. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Um, yeah, we should probably do a, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to know, like, you know, how many actually active agents there are actually We can, we can do the numbers sometime yeah, in the future. Can. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll but, be in the notes. But, <laughs> but with that said, if you're ugly to someone on the transaction, your, your reputation's going to get skewed. There you go. Because the town is small, you know? Right. The, the, the population of people that are actually selling and buying houses, they're going to remember you the next time. And let's say you're a listing agent who's being a tool on mm-hmm. one side because you think you, you're in the power. Well, next time you're going to be the buyer's agent on the flip side right. and they're going to remember the tool you were. So it's the small, small industry. Absolutely. And you're going to at least, you know, again, you're always, you always have a duty to your client, but if you're showing that listing to your client, that you had, then you're going to fill them in about how that went, you know? And so that's going to follow you, you know? And on the flip side of that, I try to be really effusive with other agents. And again, this is not my job, meaning like it doesn't really affect my job that much to do it. I just think it makes our industry better. 
is if I have a great positive experience with somebody, I reach out after, I say, thank you, you know, wish you all the best in your business. I'll even write them a Google review. That doesn't hurt me. I think people feel like, you know, oh, you're just pumping up your competition. And I'm like, I can't represent both sides. (laughs) I can't do it or I won't. I mean, I know it's legal, but I personally won't do it um, because I just think the ethics are too gray there. Um, so that's just kind of my personal policy. And that's why, even though that's why you're sitting in the seat you're sitting in today. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think when it comes down to that stuff, I really try to reward good behavior. That's I hope that doesn't sound like, you know, kind of like a little kid. But like it's, you know, like when you're with a really spectacular agent or you have a really good interaction with somebody, I try to write them a really personal message, you know, like, thank you so much. I really appreciate how you handled this and that. And I'll go see if they've got a Google presence and I'll write them a review, you know, and I know that's going to help their business. And then that helps me have a better chance to work with them again because they were so great. You know, right. They remember you and what you did after the fact or (laughs) during the transaction. And incidentally, that's one of my favorite ways to sort of promote myself is I've had represent like I've represented a buyer where the seller. So the agent's client has written me a review because they had such a positive experience, you know, and that's what I really like to push. You know, I'm just like, not only did I represent my buyer, but this is how happy everyone was with, you know, my professional behavior, you know. And we can end the episode now because that is a great return. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, but that's true. I Shameless mean, self-promotion right there. Well, no, no, no. You, I mean, there's there's good. There's, there's good and bad. There's yeah. mediocre. A lot and there's, of those. And there's a lot of those and there's exceptional, yeah. right? And the, the, there's a f- the very few exceptionals that yeah. go the extra distance. So, And punt or pass. Okay. you That's a great image for a lot of things because now I love a friendly transaction. I will always do my best to keep it that way, but that's not always possible. And then you have to know when the time is to get tough, you know? And I don't mean tough as in disrespectful. I don't mean tough as in mean. I mean, tough as in, here's the contract. This is what my client's doing. And you just show up for them in a really bold, strong way, you know? And I think that sometimes, you know, you can't get caught in the weeds of like wanting to be the nice guy about everything, you know? Because sometimes you have to be the tough guy, you know? And you got to know when that comes up. In fact, it's so funny because I was talking to a friend of mine who's a commercial agent. And as we do, we vent about things sometimes, you know, so I was venting about something about an agent who was kind of mishandling something on the other side. And he said, well, why didn't you go to the, to their broker? You know, why? because you can do that, you know, it, aren't you, you know, wouldn't you be, you know, serving your client at the highest level by taking it to the top? And I'm like, well, if I want to lob a grenade into the transaction, sure. And it's not like I've never done that, but it's certainly an extreme last resort because, man, you are, you're burning that bridge hard if you're going to go there. And so again, you have to have kind of the patience and the peace to get to that point and know I've done everything I can do. And maybe that's what I have to do. You know, that's your last resort. Yeah. Yeah. I find a lot of people do that whenever it's a newer agent and they feel like they have to school that new new agent. And that's not the, 
I mean, I wouldn't want to be that person on the other side. Yeah. You know, I always have to think about like, totally. how, how did you, how, how did you want to be treated when you were brand new? Yeah. Or I know more than you. I've sold more than you or, you know, Gosh, isn't it in our, well, okay. Let's talk about, isn't it in your client's best interest, blah, blah, blah. Isn't it in your client's best interest to help that agent through that transaction? It really is. You know, I mean, that's serving your client to like say, Hey, we can't do that in the contract. We can't write that in. Um, but let's find something, some way to address this issue a different way. You mm -hmm. know, um, right? There's always another way. Right. Exactly. So getting or if creative. It's not, we just can't do it. Period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But educating and you know, because we we educate each other. I mean, gosh, I I am so grateful when it when an agent educates educates me on something. You know, I appreciate it. You know, when it's something I didn't know. Well, and what our, our listeners don't really understand is the school to get licensed and our education to get a license teaches us <laughs> zero. Zero. <laughs> it's just basically how to follow law. And then still, yeah. we don't know generally how to follow that law sometimes, right? right? When we're writing yeah. contracts, right? So like you said, you're so appreciative when you are like, oh, hindsight. Okay. Yeah, I understand and this. Hence the need for continuing education and all of its different right, facets, right. you know? Um, I would love to know, and this is again, high level, what your opinion is, because I have one on designations. What do you think about those? And I, there's no right or wrong. This isn't my podcast. No, I, I think there, <laughs> I, I think with any education, whether designation or not, and I'm going to let's talk about designations. It depends on the person and the reason they got the designation. Did they yeah. get it for the for the alphabet soup at the end? Did they get it for to to get education? Yeah. Did did they get it to build their referral base? Yeah. Right? Or they get it for the knowledge? But I also believe, even though most of these designations, and then maybe tell them what a designation is because yeah yeah. No. So it, um so we have um in our education sphere we have um, a new light a new agent has what's called. SAE or salesperson mm -hmm. apprenticeship um, education. And then when you're two years old, when you're now a two-year-old. <laughs> you're you get, a toddler. You're a realtor toddler. <laughs> you're a realtor toddler. You get some uh, CE hours and continue edit hours. But mm -hmm. then beyond that, um, realtors can take uh, certification classes or designation courses so further enhance their knowledge base rather they may be a seller designation yeah. course a buyer designation course a negotiating designation course it doesn't really matter but there's an abundance of them yeah. most of them stem from the national association right but even though the content's coming from the national level sometimes it doesn't translate well to state to state right yeah. but the knowledge base is a high level but i always have said because i am a real estate educator the person standing at the front of the room teaching the class, the same per the two different people had gone to two different designation classes yeah. and come out with two different pieces of information. Yeah, totally. So they should have come out with the same information, mm -hmm. but sometimes they don't. Yeah. So you have to take sometimes education with higher level, like a grain of salt, because you don't know who taught them. You don't know what their intention was. Were they trying to get a broker's license? Were they, you know, trying to get their 90 hours when they first got licensed? Like, what was their purpose? Yeah. So I think that some of them are good yeah. and help you get more. But 
you know, I feel like there's a lot of ways to figure out the, um, to learn that meat beyond the yeah. designation as well. I totally agree with that. I mean, I think all education is good education. So I'm like, do, if that keeps, I think it's sort of like running a marathon in a way, you know, it's just like a designation can sometimes keep you on track. Cause you're just like, oh, it'll motivate me to take X, Y, and Z classes, you know? And, you know, you can be in the most random, what should be a boring class that turns out to be spectacular because of that unique knowledge that you were just speaking about that educator is bringing to that. And also, you know, that's just the human brain. Do we have like a hook to put that hat on, you know, or not? And so the things are going to stick that we've had maybe a little personal life experience and then you might need, I mean, that's why I, 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 the number of contracts classes I've taken, I don't even know how many, you know, and most of them actually incidentally aren't going to show up if you went and looked at my license because I just don't count towards your hours, don't count towards my hours or whatever. But I have taken so many classes for that exact reason on contracts specifically, because it's so important that we understand, especially that main purchase contract up, down, sideways, center. We have to know that inside out. And so not only the exposure in the industry by doing deals, but also by taking education, I'll never stop taking contracts classes on the same contract because it's so important. And then you get to hear other people's experiences in the class. Oh, this happened to me during this, during this section of the contract, you know, because there are sections of the contract you and I know we've never had to deal with. We know them, but we've never had an issue in that section of the contract, you know, because of our market area or whatever it is, you know, tidewaters. I've never had a tidewater issue no, in any of the contracts. because we're not selling at the coast, exactly. right? Right. right. Now you mentioned um, designation. So I'm going to talk about a couple of the designations before we move on. But, um, you know, there's one called CIPS. What it, what it is, is a designation to help you understand an international buyer. Yeah. Right. So if you're an international coming to from overseas to any state, whether Texas or whatever, you probably want to work with someone who has taken that designation. They've taken an extra initiative to really, truly understand you and how you tech, how you understand things, Mm -hmm. your culture, right? Same with military buyers, right? And um, um, most of our military markets, most of the agents have a military designation because they, they deal in that segment of the market, right? Mm -hmm. So of course, it doesn't mean that they're going to be any better than the one who didn't take it because anybody with the the web can go out and learn anything about anything today. Right. right. But, um, you know, when we're talking about designations, I feel like that's when they're, they're, they're great. Yeah. Because you can see that they have done the time to go a little bit deeper in that particular subject, which is really important. Actually, you know what that reminded me of is when we're talking about um, high-level agents, I think high-level agents also, exceptional agents know how to stay in their lane too, you know, because I think, you know, again, it's that ego thing where you really have to understand. Well, it's two things. It's not just ego. I think that can play into it, but it's also just wanting to help with everything because as a realtor, you have to have such a breadth of knowledge that you turn into a little bit a jack of all trades. But, you know, when you're talking about those exceptional agents staying in their lane, one thing that comes to mind is like uh, property taxes or 
income tax, you know, you'll get those questions because those are so proximal to our industry. And so that is when you need to punt <laughs> to somebody, in that, even if you know it, you know, cause like, I mean, yeah, I ran my husband's business for years. I've used to file our taxes until, you know, I got too busy and then we got the accountant all up and running. But I know a lot about the ins and outs of real estate tax. I don't advise on it ever even though I had to learn a lot about it to, to be able to navigate my own situations, I don't share that knowledge with clients because they need to speak to a market expert in that, you know? Right. They need to speak to a CPA or attorney because yeah, mine is lay person knowledge. I don't have any special skills other than my own tenacity to ask questions, you know? So, and it's sometimes it's hard. I think as newer agents, you know, I, serve on, um, like for my brokerage, I serve on a leadership council that answers questions for new agents. And I, I think that questions that come in a lot of times just need to, you just tell them that's outside your expertise. You shouldn't even be giving them information on that. That's kind of hard to know where those lines are. They, they get kind of blurry and you have to really have pretty good boundaries around that to serve your clients. Right. Because you, you, they blurry because you want to serve your clients. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't maybe know who to refer to. Right. right? So that, that goes to say that a really great exceptional agent is going to have those partners in and out of real yes, estate to help definitely. guide and refer those partners out. So you can, it's just like that. You would never take your client on an inspection yourself. Yeah. You would hire an inspector. But let's talk about before and then during the transaction, okay. because during the transaction, there's a lot of things that I feel like exceptional realtors do mm -hmm. that others don't. One thing that comes to mind is setting the tone of how it is to work with me, setting the stage of the offer, mm -hmm. introducing the mortgage loan officer, mm -hmm. why you work with them, you know, like showcasing your competence, but not your ego, like... Yeah. What are things that you see that also demonstrate exceptional? I think we all got a crash course in that as listing agents running the last couple of years because you will get 10, 30 offers. And so you get 10 to 30 agents and you get to see how differently they all work. So in a way, as a listing agent, you got a lot of market exposure to buyer's agents, exceptional buyer's agents, what agents are doing differently. And that was really interesting because even though, you know, you weren't working 27 transactions in that moment, you were able to see how 27 agents do something, you know? And I would say the trinity of email, phone call, and text. If I am trying to win an offer, and this, they, there doesn't have to be multiple offers. This is my approach. You know, I ramp it up. I do one different offer. things. Right. But if I'm trying to get something under contract, the very first thing I do is establish that relationship by properly introducing myself, saying I'm very available, asking questions, having gratitude when questions are answered, those kind of things. I will always respond. I will always say thank you. And I appreciate that, blah, blah, blah. So just basic courtesy to start, you know, when you're trying to get that offer accepted, then you've already started to establish that relationship through those initial texts, phone calls, or, or an email or two. And then if you're sending in that offer, they're going to get the offer, 
they're going to get a, a phone call and they're going to get a text. Just wanted you to know there's an offer in your email. It's coming from this in case it gets caught in promotions because that happens, unfortunately, with our professional emails, you know, but it's kind of an easy way to just sort of set it up like I will communicate with you. I'm available to you and I'm going to make sure that you can get a hold of me. You know, communication is huge. And that's why that's why I do it as well. Right. Because one of the the challenges of our real estate transactions is lack of communication that could be it could be the death of the transaction oh yeah for sure and it, tell me because i already know the answer to this has your client gotten picked because of that over yes. others not being the highest not being the best offer blah mm-hmm. blah blah and there's a lot of ways to define best offer but um yes. you know you know in in out in the world people think of that as the highest offer and that's absolutely not it have you experienced that phenomenon i have and here's how i'm experiencing it so you know from a, a listener's perspective the contract is only so many pages. There's extra pages that the realtor fills out. So the realtor can say, I'm the realtor for, for this party. I'm the realtor for that party. That page, unfortunately, doesn't get filled out yeah. or get filled out correctly. Some of those pieces of information, you have to go over to track to, yeah. to, to the real estate commission to get the data. Like it's not, it doesn't live in our MLS. Right? right. So I have to go a step further to get the data. So I believe if I'm delivering a polished offer, a really good offer of my client with really good terms, I've set my client up for starters to get their offer accepted. If I'm a slacker on that last page, then they think my client's going to be a slacker because I've missed the mark. That's such a great litmus test. I totally agree. To see if they took those extra steps to fill in your stuff, which is not part of the contract you just mentioned. It, right. It's, it's informational for people. It's not part of the contract, but it lives there in the back of the contract. You really can see that if they make that extra, it takes five minutes, but it does. a lot of agents don't spend the time to do it. Yeah. It would be easy if our MLSs would pull that data in, but, but they don't, right? So that it shows be a that whole separate episode. It, exactly. with MLS. <laughs> <laughs> but I now, they now know that I'm going to go an extra step, right? Yeah. So that's number one. Number two is, is I'm sending an offer that even though I've written the offer, even though they can open up the, the attachment, it's a bullet pointed, easy yeah. to read, and it talks about my client. Mm-hmm. It talks about w- what what my client is giving me permission to say yes. about them, it, about the structure of the offer. It mm-hmm. talks about the highlights of the benefits to their client. Yeah. Because I don't know, again, who I'm dealing with on the other side. I don't know their level of uh, knowledge base. I don't know how fast they're going through. Really? If you know, if they're going to look at every contract or if they're just going to look at the one page, whatever. And then I'm talking about me because even though there's 15,000 agents, some of these people are brand new. I've never met them. Right. So I want to set the tone for how I'm going to do business, how I do business with my clients. It's not, it's not, I know everything. It's how I set the stage and the tone with my clients on inspections and processes and, you know, I, at the end of the day, the client is the one who says what they want through negotiations. Always. But, but it's the it's the buyer's agent's um, role to educate along the way mm-hmm. on kind of the things maybe we should punt or pass asking so for. So where right? did you learn to do that? Because I know. Do you do you remember? I know where I learned to do that. But do you? 
I've been doing that for a while, yeah. but I saw some really good examples of it during COVID because there mm. were two, there were, there was what, 50 offers on houses, yeah. right? And they had to stand out. I think the icing on that cake is not my client, not the structure of the offer, not um, about me. It's my introduction mm -hmm. to the, the mortgage loan officer, why I use them, but I'm blind carbon copying in my email, the loan officer. Yeah. And then I follow up and send the loan officer a second separate email with the listing agent's yeah. name and phone number, because then that person is calling them to saying sure. my clients landed a uh, contract land in their inbox and they're advocating just as much as I'm advocating. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to call out these two great agents because the, they, they're the ones that taught me this. So Diller Schwartz, you know, I think she helped me write even my first. That wasn't her job, by the way. She was just being a great co-agent. She was a competitor she, of yours, exactly, right? But I just appreciated her and, and how she does business. So I had her look over and she's like, oh, this is great. This is great. Change this, change this. And, and she told me to do the bullet points. She's like, first thing you should do, pull out, you know, the main threads of the offer, you know? So I've always done that um, since then. And highlighting, of course, things that are the benefit to the seller, the more, the better, you know? And, um, so it, it varies. It, it's not the exact same information, but um, I do that. And then there was an agent, Kara Keenan. I think she's with Realty Austin. I hope that's her last name. Um, and I did a deal with her that ultimately it's a long story, but did fall through to no one's fault um, really in late stage. But her approach in how she delivered the offer to me, man, I took a page from that. You know, she was, she, I just, how she handled it was so professional and she did all the things you're talking about. But again, you don't learn those things in realtor school. You learn that in the realtor school of life, you know, and a lot of my education, again, I'm lear just learning from other agents, you know, and like, I really love how they do that. But when you're not getting, the interesting thing is when you're getting 50 offers, 30 offers, whatever it is, it's shocking to me that it's going to be one or two that really stand out, you know, and in terms of like how they wrote it, their communication, it is the exception to the rule. I have to say to do all of these things. Do you well, find you that? I do. And you asked me earlier, did my, did my client's offer get accepted? Yeah. Well, yes, because <laughs> yes, of course it did. <laughs> yes, because my lender now ha can have a conversation with or my client's lender can have a conversation with this other listing agent to say, oh, the client is approved. Oh, you have cash offers. But well, wait a minute. I think because of the my client's transaction, I think that we're going to be able to waive the inspection. Yeah. Like they could have those detailed dialed in. Oh, you yes. can. Well, now you compete. Right. Sure. So now you have a competent agent, very kind, does all, you know, does the heavy lifting, goes above and beyond. Mm -hmm. Clients who love it know they don't have deep pockets, but they've taken out a contingency, a, a normal transaction. No one's going to call 50 um, loan officers. Right. They're going to take the top two or three. So true. So, yeah. Th th so I think that's kind of how you stand out is you have to kind of do all three. And it doesn't matter if the market is soft 
or so true. Super. Yeah, we have to do this regardless. Yeah, it doesn't our matter. market has really changed this year. You know, starting you know in the summer, early summer of last year, the the market started to really, really change dramatically. Which I think we were all kind of happy to see in a way, you know, um, because nobody, honestly, as a listing agent, I mean, I'm happy for my clients, of course, but having 30 offers is not fun for anyone. You know, it just sounds like this, this roller coaster you really want to ride, but even on the listing side, it's very challenging, you know, and of course we're in the business of like wanting people to have homes. So, you know, we want there to be 30 houses for that. You know, we, you wish you could duplicate that house 30 times for all those people. Yeah, it's stressful. It doesn't matter which size you're on. It's stressful because the seller's agonizing, yeah. like, which one should I take? And they're, they're focusing on things that really don't matter totally. when they get that many offers. And it's not always the highest net to the yeah. seller. Sometimes it's emotion. Sometimes it's like we just said, it's a communication. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to slip this in here. Like, we could honestly do like a 50 part series on what makes an agent great and it wouldn't be enough. And what it really comes down to is your trust of that person, because there are so many things that we're going to handle on the listing or the buy side or whatever that you will never understand and you'll never know. I think that's one thing that I found, you know, I've sort of just had to like go Zen about the fact that my clients really aren't going to know what I'm doing <laughs> to but you some know what degree. They can. <laughs> they can. And this is, this is how okay. they do. All right, so on. this is how you shine and you let your clients know that you're exceptional. You're great. You're doing something different because some of your clients have worked with two or three agents before you because they bought sure. and sold in their places, That's right? True. I set my clients up from the very beginning. When you hear me say, I'm worried, I'm concerned that's when you need to get concerned because what I'm about to do is going to shock you. Every email that I send out on your behalf, you're going to be blind copied on it. Yeah. You're going to see the elbow grease I put in. You're going to see the back and forth. You're going to see the tone. You're going to see everything. Mm -hmm. It's my job to help you navigate things that you don't like in that, but then you get to see it all. Right. Because you're right. There's a lot of um, our industry that's hidden from the public. On purpose. It's not supposed to be, but that, you know. No, it's yeah. not. And I feel like, you know, me opening the door and saying, you're going to see some stuff you hate and you love and great. But until I say panic, there's no need to panic yeah. because I'm going to put out the fires or I'm, I'm going to smooth things over before there's ever an issue because that's right. my job to get you to the finish line with the less amount of turbulence. Yeah. And there's always, I mean, we always love those golden offers, but if there's one thing you can expect in a real estate transaction, it's a bump. You can expect it. There's going to be a bump. Yeah. It's, it's very, it, it, there's a lot of moving parts. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, coding or building a watch. I mean, there's a lot of things that can break. So there's going to be a bump. Yeah. So we talked about bumps. So I think an exceptional agent foresees issues before they happen. Like they've set the stage. They've taken care of those, whether they have showed their client or not showed them, they avoid those roadblocks. They listen, they listen to those clients. Um, and we just had a situation where the client says, Oh, my client went out, uh, the first weekend and loved your house. And that was great. Oh, they weren't going to buy until January. 
Well, if you had listened and asked more questions of why you weren't going to buy until January, you would have figured out that they can't get out of their lease. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a roadblock that you're going to terminate a contract because you have to, you, you're, you're not going to pay in an astronomical amount to end the lease. Yeah. You'll just start over again. So totally. And, and us trusting lenders on that side, you know, it's like being an agent where you're like, this is why we work with certain lenders. We don't get kickbacks. We get nothing like that. What we get is happy customers because their transaction works, you know? Right. Right. Now, during the transaction, I feel like there's a lot of pumps that distinguish. And like I think you said it very um, well early on is how the agent handles that chaos yeah. that's ensuing in the transaction. It, it tells a telling of that person and how they are as an agent. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, that handling a problem is where you really stand out. You know, you're always trying to avoid problems, you know, but I see that in, like I said, in a lender or a title company or anything like that. Like, it's really hard to tell how high level someone is or how excellent they are until you see how they handle a problem. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we have lots of opportunities for that. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> to really shine. <laughs> well, and awareness. And it's not just the awareness of, you know, how to fix the problem. It's the, the awareness of educating the client along oh, the yeah. way. Because an uneducated client could derail or, oh, I didn't know in the last minute oh, with sure. pivoting or extending contracts, right? So, yeah, you know. So that pre-education you're really focusing on, I totally agree. Like you, you know, and you're, you have to watch your clients for their eyes to glaze over if you're giving them too much, you know what I mean? Uh, but that pre-education, properly vetting your clients so you understand what their needs are, you understand their timeline, you can really go aggressively for them when the time is right. But man, it's so important to understand that stuff from the beginning, you know, them understanding the contract they're going to get into them understanding what the process looks like, them understanding who are the players and how you're going to be interacting with them. You know, that's true. That's true. My, my husband's a, an, an engineer and I say half the stuff comes out of his mouth flies over my head. So he has this expression. He's like, okay, I'm going to take you back to kindergarten. Right. So yeah. I'm going to kindergarten it down. Right. So he's not talking down to me. He's just talking to me at my level for his. Well, sure. I mean, like, I don't, I'm not a brain surgeon, you know, I'm not going to understand that language. And I think that kind of goes back to my fatalistic kind of view that in a way you, what you can convey is like a, a portion, you know, like a whole soul of who you are and like how you do business. And they're going to see those shining moments in you but the breadth of your knowledge will never be exhausted by one transaction or one client, you know, and you're always striving for more too. And I feel like those agents that are, I, I'm talking to your clients that they're in kindergarten again, right? Yeah. Throughout this process, I'm going to, I'm going to assume that you've never had a transaction. You've never been on a buy or sell. And the reason why I feel like an exception agent should do that is because they don't know the agent that the other the client had previously on their sure. buy or sell, right? You don't know what they learned during that transaction. It could have been in a different state where things yeah. are done differently. So in this transaction, I'm going to take you through the path of elementary school again, and we're going to learn from why are we doing this uh, timelines mm -hmm. and 
understanding because that education is paramount yeah. and it, it eliminates a lot of those hiccups from happening. Sure. And then it just builds trust, you know, it does because, they, it does. You, you know, you're demonstrating that, you know what you're doing. <laughs> so a lot of, um, there's a theory involved and I think it's a track Texas real estate commission believes one way. And I think practitioners will believe differently. And, you know, as, is practitioners should give a, you know, multiple referrals out when they're, you know, giving a professional, mm -hmm. a, you know, for recommendation. Of course, that realtors should have that healthy network of people that they're sending their clients, like we talked about CPA and an sure. attorney now and, and, you know, mortgage lender. But I'm seeing more and more people have their one person. Yeah. And, and it, I feel like it's all in the delivery of how you deliver it to them yeah. and unpack it, right? You know, if Trek would say that I would send them two or three people, right? Because then it, it protects me from liability. That's right. Yeah, sure. Right? But, you know, when you look at it, if you say to them, I use, I'm going to pick on my lender, Denise, Denise Hosack. And this is why I use her. Mm -hmm. She's educated. She's informative. She'll step you through the process. She's worked with 90% of my clients when I've given three names, yeah. right? But there are a billion other people out there you can use. Sure. I'm not forcing them with a gun against their head, ask how they have to use this person, right? I think there's a way to deliver a referral partner that ensures a healthy peace of mind experience Definitely. versus setting them up to someone who maybe you've never used in 10 years because yeah. so what are your thoughts on that i mean i think about this all the time so of course you know best practice quote unquote is to give three names because you remove yourself from the liability there right that's what we've been trained i sort of take a little issue with that from the get because if they're on a list, you're going to have some liability. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you're going to, they're going to, you know, if you give them three names and then they have a bad experience, they're still attaching that to you. You know, I think that with lenders or, you know, what came to mind was home inspectors, you know, because I have an excellent home inspector. Shout out to Jennifer Riley. She is amazing. Um, and I don't mind, it, of course, not even mind. I mean, your clients are entitled to pick whomever they want to, and they should be told that and they should understand that, you know, just like an agent, you know, certain realtor, a certain lender is going to float to the top for whatever reason, you know, and so you're going to give your clients that conversation about it, you know, and I think the interesting thing that I've kind of experiencing this with um, a home inspector stuff because she's so she's so much better than other inspectors that I've come in contact with that that that's what I have to say like based on my experience and my client's experience she has risen to the top you know and if you don't tell them that I feel like you're creating another problem. Here's a blind three people list. I'm not going to give you any information about them. You just pick them. You know, I think that sometimes, in fact, my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. There is nuance. And that's kind of what you're saying. There's nuance in picking these people. There's nuance in delivering it. I think you can deliver a single name in a way that both protects you and your client and gives them choices. 
so I think it's understanding what that means. I think, you know, that of course your brokerage doesn't want any liability from agents promoting a singular liability. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to take on the liability of that, but, but at the same time, I do think that you have to give your clients an honest perspective on what you're delivering to them. Oh, lenders, man, that's a huge one where like, I actually do. I have two lenders on my list now. I used to give a longer list. I don't. I've just worked with both of them enough times that I just know. And they also have all the reviews. So I'm just like, go out and vet them. You know, you should read reviews. You should talk to people who have used them, you know. But when you have a bad lender, oh, it's so bad. It is so bad, you know. Or your realtor refers you to a bad lender. Yeah. I because mean, they're using their list, right? Yeah. Oh gosh. And they haven't and no one's picked that no one's picked that lender or inspector or handy yeah. guy for years. Yeah. And there's a reason why. That's right. And all, you know, it's I think people get caught in the the sort of like um I don't wanna uh oversell something or I don't wanna step on anybody's toes and blah blah blah. But your client needs to understand what a lender does too. You know, they're shopping for their best rate. You want them to get a great rate, but a lot of times you get what you pay for, you know? So getting the bottom of the barrel cheapest, that transaction is going to have a rough road, you know, or it can. I've been in a few, you know, so. We've talked a lot about before during, you know, high level um, during the transaction. Let's wrap up and talk about post-transaction because I think this is the part of the equation that makes the realtor shine. It's like closing has happened. Funds have been dispersed. The realtor has gotten paid. Where's that agent? Are they ghosting their clients or are they fostering that, you know, that relationship and are they available? And I think that's where you can tell the good from the great. Sure. And um, being available and delivering the, you know, thinking about their family and their kids and their birthdays and being the friend, not just the the realtor Yeah, at the end of the day. And, you know, that network can be tapped into anytime, meaning, you know, we do interact with a lot of different tradespeople and, and we just have a large network we can reach out to. You know, I always like to get fresh recommendations. So even if I've, if I'm like, oh, I don't know, I haven't been asked that question for that particular thing in a while. Let me go back to my network and just refresh this and say, like, hey, who have you used lately? Like who in the last couple months has really come through for you? You know? And we're so happy to do that. That takes us minutes. You know, I think some clients are kind of hesitant to reach out, you know, after the transaction. You know, like, hey, do you know somebody who could do this? I mean, we're going to say no if we don't, but most of the time we can find, we can vet that through our network and help them you know, find. And of course we want them to think of us, you know, so being available for those kind of things is something we want to do. And I always think that we need to be available for more than just, Hey, who do you use for a plumber? Right. (laughs) But, but it's not just real estate specific. It's who you use for Dr. Dentist. Right. So I tell my clients, especially as people moving here, if you need a hair person, if you need a dentist, if you need a doctor, if you need a whatever, right. But also it's that education because things change, right? Like yeah. we had a couple of years ago, we had a um, 
um, issue with TCAD that changed or, or, or oh, sure. our, our county appraisal district, right? Change or legislative issues that have come up, right? Those are all good moments that your realtor should be reaching out to you and telling you how it impacts you mm-hmm. as a homeowner. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the win for the, the buyer's agent when they help you buy is that one day you're going to sell and they want to help you sell and be that sure. agent on the other side. But well, like one or two percent are actually the selling agents on the other side because there's no long term communication or connection post transaction. Yeah, definitely. So I think that that's where we I find where we have a lot of people who shine versus don't. Yeah. Definitely. Like our diamonds versus our cubic zirconias. Yeah. <laughs> Are you fake? Are you phony? Are you the real thing? It's the real we deal. We want to be the real thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a friend of mine in North Carolina is a real estate broker. And she says, we have to prove we're more than houses. You have to prove that you are a human. And it's not about your commission. It's not about selling the house. It's about the relationship at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. I think... I'm sure you've had this experience where somebody hires you just because of that. I just, I know you're a realtor and I just think you're a good person, you know, and they literally might not know anything about you professionally other than the fact that that's what you do, but because you've, you know, lived your life in a way that they have respect for you, you know, that is the biggest honor. Honestly, that is the biggest honor. And the second, if not equal to, is when people trust me with their parents. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Like that is such an honor to me to be trusted with somebody's mom, you know, like to care for them through a transaction. Cause you know, we've both done new home buyers. I love them. I know a lot of agents are like, oh, new home buyers. Cause they like to ask questions. Um, but I love the questions, bring them on. You know, I love the education. So I love the eagerness of a new home buyer. Um, but also those retirees who are, you know, headed into a new phase of life, Oh, it's such an honor, you know, to be able to feel trusted with them. I'll take that a step further because I think that the person that comes back to you and says, you help me by my mom or dad has passed. Yeah. And my siblings and I need someone and your name came to the top, right? Because that's such a delicate time, right? So they trust you with that. You know, there's a lot of moving parts to that. So Someone who comes from that experience, I feel like it's like, it's like pulls on your heartstrings a little bit. Definitely. Or just those difficult life transitions for a number of reasons, you know, mm-hmm. um, like you want, you know, it's hard. I think sometimes, you know, separating yourself emotionally in those because you and I are both empathetic people. So you have to both wear the hat of like dispassionate professional and also that really caring side, you know, you walk kind of walk the line between those, you know? Um, But I think whenever someone's going through something difficult that necessitates them needing help in the real estate world or whatever, and they think of you, gosh, that is just such an honor, you know? Yeah, it is. It is an honor. And I would like to express my gratitude to you (laughs) (laughs) for your generosity and sharing all your valuable insights um, and conversing with me today and shedding light on the qualities that like truly define exceptional realtors. And because I think that your um, information is going to be really valuable and enlightening to the listeners in Texas and to those future buyers and sellers. So I thank you again for 
um, oh, your contribution. You. And I just have to say, I mean, the reason why we connected is because I found, you know, we were members of a common, uh, you know, Facebook pages or whatever that we use those to network a lot. And you always gave such insightful, interesting, educative answers that a lot of people ignored. And I'm like, this person is a gem, you know? And so I remember I privately reached out to you because I'm just like, I was new and I was kind of, and I had a question about something which you generously answered in, you know, great detail. So from a professional's perspective, you certainly um, shine, you know, shone bright in that setting of thousands of realtors. I mean, that's why I was attracted to you because you are, you exude such a high level. You offer help to all of those around you. And it's just really inspiring. So, you know, it's, that really helped me early in my career. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that we've had this moment to get to know one another yeah. and connect even beyond that Facebook group that I'm no part of anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah that's I think a, we're, I think we're another day, another to, dollar. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, so if you should have a desire to reach out to Karen listen, listening to this episode, her com- contact information will be found in the show notes. So I encourage you to reach out to her if you'd like to work with Karen or if you have any questions for Karen. But before we wrap up today's episode, I normally would give you a sneak peek about what's to come. But today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm reaching out to our listeners because I want to hear your ideas and suggestions for future episodes. So what segments of a real estate transaction or industry as a whole are you most interested in learning about? So I'll toss out some high level ideas to kick off your brainstorming. You know, could there be, there could be episodes regarding different types of transactions, such as buying, selling, renting, investing, or different roles in the transaction, such as lenders, um, agents, title companies, and appraisers. There's different um, things that affect value in a property, like location, condition, amenities, or financing options that are available to buyers and sellers, different types of investment strategies, or trends in the market. So I hope this little list um, helps you as you can compile your list, because I'm eager to hear your ideas. I would like to express my sincere gratitude to all of our listeners, whether you're listening from the comfort of your own home or on the go. I hope that today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, I would be grateful if you would consider following or subscribing to our podcast. Your support helps us reach a wider audience and grow the Urban Connect community. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, please feel free to contact me directly at jenniferurbanconnectpodcast.com. I value and appreciate your feedback, and I'm always open to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Archambault, and I look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of Urban Connect.